I'm wedged into row 21, seat A, up against the window of the airplane. My 10 a.m. flight is finally leaving the ground at 12.36 p.m. I wait patiently for that little ding that tells you that you can use your approved electronic devices. I know that I have five and a half hours to remain calm, resist boredom, and get something done before my layover in Phoenix. I'm planning to use the time productively. I want to write this week's sermon. And I know that all of the hundred or so other people on my flight are figuring out what they are going to do while all of us are crammed in this very small space. In fact, we are all working together to make this extraordinary show of patience look like it's nothing out of the ordinary at all. But none of us is really happy. None of us is really happy about being stuck in close quarters with each other for five hours with no choice of who's next to you in the seat. Even the folks in first class who have it somewhat better, this is undeniable, are immobilized in this airplane with us. None of us really wants to wait that long to be free again. Of course, each of you could tell your own horror story about the time when you were stuck on the tarmac for four hours and the airline attendants wouldn't even let you out of your seat or give you anything to eat. We could have a game of one-upsmanship as we remembered canceled flights and late arrivals and lost luggage. And that might be fun but I am interested in something else this morning. I'm interested in asking the question, what do we do when we are faced with unavoidable waiting? What do we do when the pace of things is simply out of our control? What might we learn about ourselves when we have to wait? And where might God be found in the spaces that waiting creates. In an essay on the trials of air travel, Rodney Clapp writes, standing in line, delayed in a terminal or on a long plane ride, those of us who are otherwise busy and hassled and have so little time are given time. He goes on to say, that time can be filled only with patience, patience with those who wait with us, Patience to pray and wait mindfully, living in the present, even when it is inconvenient. And I don't have to tell you that most Americans are really not that good at waiting. We like speed and convenience. We insist on efficiency and timeliness. We want what we want, and we want it now. And I'm sure that you have all seen people throw absolute tantrums when they had to wait. We've all had someone in line behind us grumbling about how he or she shouldn't have to put up with this crap. We've all been passed on the highway by an aggressive driver only to catch up to his or her car at the very next light. And the Americans who are the worst at waiting are those who have been blessed with a higher standard of living than all of the others You know the ones, the ones with nicer cars and day planners and full email inboxes. By contrast, those of us who are poor or working class are more used to waiting. 
if you are unemployed or poor in America, they are simply our lines everywhere, and you must wait endlessly. Lines at hospitals and clinics, lines in public assistance offices, at the bank, and at discount stores. But even when we become accustomed to waiting, we still don't like it very much. No, Americans are not so keen on waiting, and yet it is a fact of most of our lives. In fact, waiting may be the only part of life that reminds us on a daily basis that we are not in control. Having to wait shows us that our plans are small and insignificant in the face of the larger workings of life, and this can be especially hard for those of us who are used to exerting control over our own time and our own choices. Waiting can open a space for frustration and worry, or it can open a space for patience and trust. One of the reasons I go back to Mexico over and over again is that the first and most persistent lesson Mexico has to teach you is you are not in control. (laughs) You are not in control. And I love this about it. I love that the bus may or may not run to the town that you want to go to today. Just might not go. I love that a carefully made hotel reservation might evaporate into thin air necessitating a five-block walk with one's suitcase at midnight in the rain. I love that the shop that always opens promptly at 9 a.m. is dark until 10.30, the day that you absolutely need something from it. I love that the best little restaurants in the country never have a proper menu. You just walk in and ask what they have on the menu today, what they're serving, and you know that it's going to be delicious. You are not in control. Mexico is. And this is where the spiritual discipline comes in. When each of us actually actually realizes that we really are not in control, even though we'd like to think we are, a sense of peace can start to ease the loss that we feel. When we do what my fundamentalist Christian relatives call letting go and letting God, we can actually begin to enjoy life's bounty more. For me, one of the truest delights of being in Mexico is not knowing where the day will take me. I really don't know when I leave the hotel whether I will be back in one hour or seven. When I say hello to a friendly-looking person on the main square, I don't know if the interaction will end there or whether a long conversation about all matters under the sun will ensue and will result in my being invited home for dinner to meet somebody's mother. When I open my guidebook to begin asking directions to some out-of-the-way museum, I really don't know whether I will ever find it or whether something far more interesting will show up along the way. And when I return to the United States, I try to hold on to this Mexican lack of control for as long as I can, because I am more open to life and more open to other people when I do. To see being forced to wait as a gift of time is to begin to grasp the spiritual nature of it all. 
anyone can begrudgingly endure waiting. Anyone can dutifully fill the time with some useful task. Everyone can playfully pretend that the waiting is something else, like me pretending to be in the office when I'm actually on an airplane. But to see waiting as a gift, that is something else entirely. That is something radical and new. To acknowledge the gift of not being in control, that is spiritually evolved. And it is something that each of us can practice. Here's how it works. The next time you are in your dentist's office and she is overbooked and running late for your appointment, rather than being annoyed, you smile to yourself settle into one of the waiting room chairs, and do not pick up the People magazine that is sitting there tempting you from an end table. You remember that you are not there to fill the time. You are there to wait. It is a waiting room, after all. (laughs) With your best Buddhist smile on your face, you sit there, and do absolutely nothing. You gaze at the bland artwork on the walls. You gently overhear the receptionist ask other patients to fill out forms. You notice the people around you, but you don't talk to them or try and figure them out. You resist the urge to make a shopping list in your mind or to figure out what you're going to make for dinner. You just sit there, You just wait, and slowly, ever so slowly, you might begin to enjoy yourself. In fact, you might be startled a bit when the dentist calls you in. You might have forgotten that you were in her office in the first place. The waiting will have become a meditation. The paradox of a busy, accomplished life is that God is not in the busyness. God is in the waiting, in the emptiness between the tasks. All those things we rush around to complete every day, they might be important to our livelihoods, but they are not important to our inner lives. No quantity of appointments, meetings, and deadlines will ever add up to a spiritual life. No amount of running children from soccer to ballet to band practice, will result in a sense of sacred spaciousness for you or for them. No evening filled with back-to-back television shows will ever create in you a stillness and a surrender. Only waiting will do this. And this is why we must see waiting for the gift that it is. This is why our chances of seeing God are much greater when we have stopped. God is the patience we cultivate when we are not in control. As I look out of the airline window from 30,000 feet, the beauty of the scene below stops all of my theological musing. What an extraordinary sight. 
I notice the shapes of the clouds drifting between the airplane and the earth. It is a clear day above these clouds, and I can see for hundreds of miles into the distance. The horizon has a faint pinkness to it, even though it is midday. As I look down, I know that I am over one of the sparsely populated agricultural states, Michigan or Illinois or Kansas, perhaps. I see the patchwork quilt of fields covering the ground, stitched with fence rows in a symmetrical pattern. A layer of snow covers the ground, giving the quilt the look of a black-and-white photograph. Tiny farmhouses dot the corners of the fields, looking like the properties on a Monopoly game board. Straight, flat highways stretch out to the four corners of the earth. Here and there, a river meanders its way through the square blocks, reminding everyone that the earth had its own patterns before humans sought to divide it up. Yes, we are all still sitting in tight quarters on the same airline. Yes, we still have three more hours to keep up this false intimacy. Yes, we are mostly quiet, doing what each of us does to get through a long flight. But I have just noticed that outside my window is ample evidence of why flying high over the earth on a winter afternoon can be a true delight. Just outside my window is enough beauty and enough space and enough peace to make the waiting holy. Right here is my chance to have an angel's view of creation for the beauty of the earth. So I'm going to turn off this laptop computer for a while and just sit and stare out the window. Again, I have been given the gift of waiting. Again, it is up to me to make it matter. So be it. Amen.